Hello, happy Sunday, and welcome to, to the latest edition of Genealogy Adventures Live. My name is Brian Sheffy. Hi, I'm Donya. How are you guys doing? Donya Williams here. <laughs> and we're both hoping that you're having an awesome Sunday, and thank you once again for um, sharing some of your Sunday with us. So yeah, today we're so today we're going to be talking about how tips and tricks about how to find your female ancestors, and even more importantly, how to find their maiden names. Um, I know one of the most frustrating things for me looking at my tree is just having women with no last name whatsoever. But on the same token, it's that kind of frustration that propels me to find out who they were. And as I've shared on the Genealogy Adventures website, it is actually my female ancestors who've led to some of my most stunning, stunning discoveries. But we appreciate that it's not, you know, that it is tricky, um, especially back in, you know, earlier periods when there's multiple marriages, more than one marriage. If you're like, if your family is anything like Donnie and my family, you're going to have women who, you know, within different family groups sharing the same name with six or seven different cousins. You know, you mm -hmm. have a half a dozen names being shared in every line, every generation. So it can be really, really tricky. Um, Johnny, what are your thoughts about that? Exactly what you just said. Uh, I've also had my ups and downs with my trying to find my families and trying to, especially trying to find those females. And it's just been a, a whirlwind. But I've been so excited with the things that we have found. And it just continues to make you move forward. It's like those hard things make mm. you move in a manner where you're like, I give up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you find something and you're like, oh, I got to find some more. So that's what the women do for me. I don't know about anybody else, but that's what the women do for me. They really um, are very um, inspirational for me and everything. But I want to, uh, let me look at these comments real quick. We got them coming in right at the beginning. So we are Deborah Singleton from... Chicago, and she's saying hello from Chicago. And then we have Deborah Cross. Hey, Deborah, she's ready to go. She says, Hi, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and then we playing. got Cousin Lee. <laughs> hey, cousin, cousin Lee Bush. And he is in Monterey, California. Hello, cousin um, David. Yes, hello, cousin David. How are you? So we now he did he. I don't think he said, there he is. He said, hello. Um, we have Mary Wright from Maryland. We have Lisa. Hi, Lisa from San Bernardino. And then Clarissa Chamber from from the Houston metro area. Oh, we all over the place. Where's David from? Uh, we've got Marquita from Tennessee. Hello. Mm -hmm. And where, so, where, where's David from, Brian? Uh, you know, I forgot. David, where are you from? Yes, let us know. We got Grace Miller from New Jersey. I love how you guys all are just from all uh, over. Let us know. Minnesota. I knew. Minnesota. I had a, fe yeah. I had a feeling it was from somewhere out there. <laughs> so Ooh. one of the first things that I wanted to tackle is, because I, I, Donnie and I see this question online in various genealogy forums a lot. Number one question how do you put a female ancestor into your family tree? Hmm. Best and the best practice 
If you actually look up what genealogical best practice is, if you don't know what her maiden name is, leave it blank. And I know that that's frustrating, and I know it's agonizing, but I can guarantee you that if you put her married name or one of her married names, especially if she married more than once, as her maiden name, other people won't be able to find them. You probably won't be able to find them if you go back into your tree. Yeah. And, the pro and one of the main reasons for that is I can guarantee you, you will find another woman, whether that's her married name or her maiden name, who has the exact same name. And it's Without not Without a doubt. Right? Yeah. Uh, I know I got some kind of upset many, many, many years ago because uh, one of my Virginia family, the Rooms, have a bad, had a bad habit of marrying their cousins. So it wasn't inconceivable to see a man marrying a woman with the same last name as him. And it took me the best part of three weeks to finally determine that that woman's last name wasn't Rome. Someone had put her married name in. Because I was coming up with all these Sarah Rooms that she possibly could have been, and she wasn't actually any of them. She was actually Sarah Upshaw, completely different. So again, it's, it's uh, also a time-saving thing. Now, if I do come across a woman and I'm not really sure what her maiden name is, I might, what I will do is in brackets or parentheses, put at least the last known name that she was known by in the tree. So it would be like Betty, open parentheses, Bates, closed parentheses. That's me letting everyone know because my tree is public, Donya's tree is public, and that's our way of letting everyone know we aren't 100% sure about what that maiden name is. Um, well, wait a minute. The difference between my tree and your tree, however, are confirmed family members. So whatever it is that I have right. in my tree, um, it's definite. So I don't have the, the parentheses. And if, it, and if I don't know their names at all, I just don't put it. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's the difference from ours. So my <laughs> Normally, I only do the parentheses thing if the last if the surname is coming off of a marriage record. Um, and I'm sure Donnie's going to have plenty to say about this. But from my experience, no matter what part of the country that I'm, that I'm looking at, especially up to about 1900, my female ancestors were getting married very young. In some cases, especially Tennessee and Kentucky Hill country, they're getting married at 13, 14. You know, they were getting, yes. their parents, getting their parents' permission. So if I'm seeing a marriage record for a young woman, say 23, 24, 25, I automatically, and I don't see her parents' names on that, marriage, on that marriage record, whether it's a bond or it's the actual marriage certificate, I automatically put a parenthesis around it um, or some kind of note that tells me I'm not entirely sure that that's her maiden name. Right. Again, because the women were getting married so young, by the time she was 24, she could have already been married. That could be her married name. So the more you work with your family groups and the more you delve into your family, you'll start getting a sense of at what age the girls started to get married. And when you can reasonably start to assume if you're looking at a marriage certificate for his first or second marriage. I'm sure you're gonna have plenty to say about that, Donya. Um, yeah, I think that what you guys can do is uh, um, piggybacking off of Brian, you know, everybody's gonna have their own way of doing things. And this is just our suggestions on 
how to go about marking, but make your markings for yourself. Something that you know that you're going to remember. You know, like for example, for Brian, he knows that when he puts a parentheses around something, that means that this person's maiden name just might not be their maiden name. But definitely do something that is, you know, um, easier for you. And yeah, as far as my family is concerned, I am just uh, the the marriage, the intermarrying. We we just go through. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't imagine. Like just before we got online, we were sitting here talking about one of our cousins, one of our family members, our grand, one of our. What would, what would she be? Our third great grandmother. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, our third great grandmother. How we came to the notion that she's actually a daughter of our fourth great grandfather. Trying to figure it out, knowing that those families are just all wrapped up into one. And then we were talking about one, um, another lady who is just starting her research, and she's starting on one of. The largest families in the Edgefield area, but also one of the harder families. So for that to be a first time when I read that, I was like, oh, you know. And what was my comment? <laughs> my comment was, welcome to the Thunderdome, because yeah. you're like right in it. <laughs> yeah, that's smack dab in the middle. When you jump to one of them, it's five families in Edgefield that if you jump to one of those five, you have just jumped into the lion's den like you just jumped into a pit and you fight this is crazy but let's let's get to the show let's let's get to what we want to discuss you want to go first or you want me well, to i was going to say building off of what i just said and what we just chatted about why um it might be a good idea for you to talk about martha especially with the name change okay all right so hmm talking about jumping into the lion's den. <laughs> so Martha Brooks is my two-time great-grandmother. And I I know who she is now, but before I had no idea, no clue. I happened upon her because I was looking for her son, who was Peter Yeldale. Now already you see the, the correlation, the difference. One is Yeldale one is Brooks. So um, it was funny because when I found Peter, I found him with Martha and his siblings and his last name was Brooks. And it confused me because, and that was in 1870. But then in 1880, when I found him again, he was now Yeldale and Martha was still Brooks. So I didn't understand, you know, exactly what was going on and I sent a message to the uh, Edgefield Tompkins Library. And when I sent that message to the library, I asked them and I'm like, listen, I have a Martha Brooks in my tree. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's nothing else for her because it was the 1870. I said, I'm just wondering, you know, if you can, if you have any information about her, and maybe being enslaved by a Brooks family or what have you, Will, lo and behold, they did. They had information, and she ended up being enslaved by the, the Brooks family in the Edgefield area. Um, and that's how, I, that's how I started finding her. Basically, she began to be listed in um, inventory lists 
and she was owned by the same family her whole life. Um, one was the father, the second person was the son, and the third person was a cousin. So she was always owned by that same family. And that's how I ended up finding her. But my biggest thing about Martha is that I know her, her mate name. She ended up, I started to find out that she ended up not just being owned by this family, but was a child of the family. So that's what her maiden name is. But I had to go through the research of finding out who the slave owners were, learning about the slave owners, then all of a sudden getting something that was a will that let me know that there were a certain amount of kids that he had that he was giving to his wife but only she knew what she had to do with them. He gave her a separate memo. And this is how I learned that she was actually um, one of his children. So that's how I found her maiden name. Black people, you can go past the 1870 census. It's a way to do it. And that ended up being my way. And that's just one of the ways to do it. Um, but Martha never changed her last name. She changed her children's. She didn't change hers. So that was one of the, that was, um, that took me like three years to figure that out. Because <laughs> it wasn't really a very easy thing to work on. No. But again, so I'm thinking about her daughters specifically. If you can imagine one day her daughters went to the lab, went to school with one last name. And then the next day they went to school with a completely different last name. Yeah. So again, that caused us all kinds of confusion about well, what what name, what surname did they act those kids actually have? And her daughter, her daughter Rebecca was even harder because now that's somebody that I'm trying to find. And in 1870, Rebecca was a Brooks, but in 1880, she was a Rainey. So that meant that Rebecca had gotten married and either divorced or her husband died or something happened in a 10 year period. For her because she was listed. Well, he died because she, she was then listed in the 1880 census as a widow with the last name Rainey. But now I can't find her anymore. So, which, I mean, actually, which actually quickly brings me to Moses Williams, because as uh, we shared with you, Moses Williams had 40 daughters. They were all born in the depths of the slavery period. So trying to find them is going to be, is, you know, we found a number of them already. But what makes it difficult is they didn't have marriage records because they were slaves. Right. So, you know, they were paired up with someone, um, whether or not they took that person's surname or someone else's surname, we right. don't know. We literally can only find those girls through various deeds, which means actually tracking them from enslaver to enslaver to en enslaver to try to find them in the 1870 census to finally figure out at least what their married names were. I mean, we know right. that their maiden name is going to be Williams. But as I said, because they were born in the depths of slavery, by the time they pop up in eight, those were still living in 1870, which was actually most of them. I think only two, two or three of his children actually died by 1870. But as I said, it's trying to figure out who they married, what their married names were to be able to pick, to be able to pick those trails up. Right. Yeah, they were all, all except for two were living by 1884. 1884 is when Moses died. So all except for two of his children died 
um, before him. Because his obit states that 43 of them were still living. That's right. So um, that was amazing in itself. And um, yeah, but that, you know, it's it's those type of things that we have to do. We have to look at inventory lists. So write this down. Check out, always look at your inventory list. Not necessarily the wheels. Both give you that information. But look at the wheels and look at the inventory list, because unfortunately, our families were listed as property. So because they were listed as property, their names are going to pop up in the inventory. They're going to show who they are. Some of them may call out, you know, Negro wench, you know, stud, all kinds of things. You got, you know, I know the group that I'm talking to right now. You guys can take it because you guys are, are, are watching it. You, you, you do your research so you know what you're finding. And, you know, but there's some that just don't, they don't get it. They don't, they're like, oh my God, really? Did they really call them that? And the sad thing about my great-great-grandmother is that she was a breeder for her own father, brother, cousin. Um, so some of her children were taken and sold. And we have no idea who they are. That's where the DNA kicks in. And that's hopefully where we, you know, I'll continue to find her children. Because at this point, any of you out there right now in the in the in the land of the video could be my cousin, simply because my great great grandmother was a breeder and her children were taken from her. She I have definite seven, possibly nine. Um but yeah, I'm in the process of trying to find those children from those seven. And out of those seven, I think I've only found maybe two, two sets. Yeah. So that's, but that's my Martha. That's my Martha. And then I have others. Um, you want me to just go into mine and then we'll go I'm into I was just going to hop in just for a hot minute and suggest that putting the enslaved ancestors to one side, going back to free African-Americans and European descended people and other peoples who were enslaved. Colonial periods, one of the best sources of information you can get are baptismal and christening records. Of course, that uh -huh. means you have to, one, know the county that your ancestors were resident in, two, you're gonna have to be very aware of how boundaries have changed. Um, I'm thinking of even a couple of places in Virginia, like Goochland, um, mm. all of the Northern Neck. Those boundaries changed hugely. Plus, you have counties that just don't even exist anymore, but the records still exist. Yeah. So you really, you really have to have a deep understanding of where, what part of a county or you know, where your ancestors were living. But christening records, baptismal records, invaluable. For our enslaved ancestors, after slavery ended, the same applies for us. Christening records and baptismal records. Again, right. really, really important source and a really good source as well for um, finding out the names of the female ancestors. Now, South Carolina kind of frustrates me a bit. Uh, a bit? Because, a bit. Because <laughs> on those, and we've, we've spoken about this so many times. There is actually spaces on the marriage, uh, not contract, but the marriage record. The license. For, the, yeah, license, the, the, license, license. 
for people to put the names of their parents, but they so rarely did it, as opposed to my Virginia ancestors, you pop open those records. For me, 85% of the time, both parents are listed. The other 15%, one or the other, the parents are listed. So you have a pretty good idea of what a woman's maiden name was. So if her name, last name is appearing as Jones, but her father or her mother's maiden name is appearing as Brown, you know Jones, Jones not going to be her maiden name. So right. kind of while we were on that track, I just kind of wanted to, to do that one. Um, right. You wanted to take um, your, have... your next... Oh, go ahead. Okay, well, before I did that, I'm going to read these two. Okay. Um, we have a, one that says, sometimes, Deborah Cross says, sometimes I find a woman with different maiden names, i.e. pride to marry, to marry my ancestor, and hard to determine previous marriages versus original maiden name. Then find women who remarried after marriage to my ancestor, and the name change can throw me. Hard to sort out your tips on the help. And that well, really is a halt. That's an excellent one. Mm -hmm. We both can talk about our, our journey with Aurelia Holloway. <laughs> that, again, it's an ancestor that uh, Donnie and I both share. She's our three times great grandmother. She's three not my. She's an aunt to me. She's your oh, grandmother. That's right. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's my three like times a, great grandmother. She's my, she's my two time great grandfather's sister. That's, that's right. what she is. But yeah. So good old Aurelia has caused us, and she's still causing us conversations about <laughs> the different, almost every different record you see, she has a different surname. Whether you're looking at different census returns, whether you're looking at children's death records um, and marriage records, there's almost a different surname every single time. Now, most of them we were able to figure out, and we able to figure out the chronology of her marriages, which is also important because that meant that we had to get, you know, we were getting, because we knew when she was getting married and who she was marrying next, we could actually figure out the father of 90% of her children. I think we still have a question mark over, over two of them. But then all of a sudden, bizarrely, out of the ether, this last name Emery appeared. Well, as far as we can determine, there's never been a Mr. Emery or he, if they did get married, they were only married for a hot minute, and he must, you know, he may have died. But to this day, we have no idea where that last name Emery came from, and it caused us so much confusion. At first, we weren't even really sure if she was a Holloway, which actually is her maiden name, or whether it was Emery, because we don't right. know where. It was one of her daughters actually that put a death informant actually put Emery as her last name, and we don't we don't know why. Um, but yes, no, right. it was a census record. Amanda, oh, Amanda, that's... yeah, it was the census record. Amanda was um, on the census record with Aurelia and and another child, and the last name was Emery. And then the next time we see Aurelia and the other child and the rest and some more of her children, some of them start to carry the name Holloway. Some of them start to carry the name Higgins. So. We know where two of the fathers are, but the thing is, is that we believe she was definitely a breeder because she was having these children all at the same time. Like yes. <laughs> by two different men, but at the same time, or maybe by three different men. So that was the confusion as far as Aurelia was concerned because one minute we see Aurelia as Emery, the next minute we see her as Holloway, 
the next minute, did she ever carry Higgins? She did. <laughs> on one on one record, she carried yeah. the name Higgins. Plus all so of her had... all of her Higgins children. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So you know, uh, Amanda Peterson is the woman that we had the issue with, but she it was we had to find out who her children were and and um and more about them. So one bit of advice I would have for Deborah is really get the chronology of your female ancestor down as, as airtight as you can. Yeah. If she's having children who have different last names from each other, if she's having like two with one surname, two with another one, take a look at the, the years of their birth. And we know that on census returns, they can be wildly different or just sometimes a little bit different. But you, ha you know, using critical thinking, you'll, you'll have a fair old idea of at what point she started having children by a different person. Right. Work out that chronology. Try to find a record that has, say she married two or say she married three times. She's got a maiden name. Now she's got three different married names. By working out that chronology, you should be able to roughly work out when she was used or going by which specific name and then start looking for marriage records. So if you're looking for a marriage record for her last marriage, you need to get the, the married name that she had in the marriage previous to that one. Right. For that last name, try to find a, you know, a woman by that name marrying a man who fathered her children. Um, that, that would be my best advice for that and just work, just work your way back. Right. So, so we have sense. another question. Yeah, we um before we go into Miss Molly, uh I'm getting some highs from Denmark. Hey Karen, how are you? And then Gaynell responded to you know what we were seeing, what I was talking about on the wheel. She said, no matter how many times we see it on a wheel, it still hurts badly, meaning finding those names, you know, calling them out their names, calling them winchins and studs and bucks and as you know and you're right Gaynell that is some hard stuff to take in um I don't know I think I've gotten kind of numb to it I, I I mean it I guess it it all depends on the the reasoning or, or not necessarily the reasoning like what's going on at the time that I'm researching and I'm like okay it's like sometimes I can just take it in and it's done. But then there are other times I'm looking at it like, did he really just call her that? Or did he, you know, so yeah, it is very difficult. I think the way that we, the way that you and I work, well, our whole research group works because we're working towards specific goals. We're working towards answering specific questions. Right. We'll, we'll clock things, but we don't necessarily dwell on it because we're just really kind of focused on finding you know finding the answer to the mystery the problem the issue whatever it is i think so usually what we tend to do is after we find that answer then we have the conversation of did you get a load of them like when we were looking at those work contracts for um oh, who was it what the, we were looking at um, a whole series of work contracts for a specific family out of edgefield i can't remember who they were now who just recently on the williams family Matilda. Yeah, that was it. And we saw that language in that, that work contract and we told a mutual cousin, yay, we found these work contracts, but you better sit down and take a deep breath before you read them because the language yeah. in that was just wild. Yeah. Um, it blows we, my mind in the work contracts when they say 
they're going to obey me. Um, one one work contract we found for the Yale was it, it was either Yale Dales or the Brookses where we found and they said, um, I have the right to discipline your child. Like it just came up, just yeah. I they they your children need to listen to me, and I'm I'm like, oh. Oh, it, it was the Yeldo. It was Bur it was Burrell Yeldo, where they actually like we me and my wife can actually beat your kids. Beat your kids, yes. If yes. they misbehave, yes. If your children misbehave, we can beat them. You know, so it's just like, okay, you know. So basically, they're still stuck. And the thing about the Matilda Williams was it Matilda? Yeah, the thing about the Matilda Williams is that this contract was written up the way that it was, and in the contract, guys, it actually said that they were purchasing their freedom. Now, y'all already know, the Freedmen stuff was after those enslaved were now freed. They made these people think that they were buying their own freedom by working for them. So technically, they were they were still slaves, you know. So at this point, you know, I'm just kind of I'm I'm over the top. But Brian, so I have um got a question, but I want to say get to some of these highs. Um, mm -hmm. C Richardson Barnett, greetings from Newport News, Virginia. Barbara, our cousin Elam, hello everyone. And then we got one hi from Cleveland, Tennessee. And then we have one from Connie Knox. Hi from Genealogy TV. You're new to the to the group. How are you? Glad to meet you. I hope you continue to watch us and you know really get into the show. But then there's another question from Lisa Wade. She says, "Is it possible that a female married and that a female married and kept her marriage surname after a death or separation from a spouse?" then marry again, but the marriage record is showing the surname of the first spouse as the maiden name. So now before yeah. Brian yeah. answers this, because I'm giving this straight to Brian, I just want <laughs> you to know that that question right there, that's our cousin. And that is typical for Edgefield, South Carolina and our family. It so, is. so if I'm understanding the, the question correctly, the answer would be yes. And that happened, that's actually happens the majority of the time. Because you have to go, you have to roll your mind back to before the early to mid-ish uh, 20th century. When you were a woman and you got, you basically didn't have a legal identity once you got married. Your identity was now your husband's identity. Your name was now his name. So even when he died, you, you couldn't revert back to your maiden name. Your legal name was the last name of the last spouse that you had. And again, it's worth remembering women back then, you couldn't legally own property in your own right. You couldn't own anything. Anything that you had was the property of your husband, unless, for whatever reason, your family or your father said no. I'm giving these things to my daughter and they are to be held by her and they can, she can dispose of them however she wants to. So again, for people of color, for those of us who had enslaved ancestors, that includes our enslaved ancestors. There's a thing called dowry slaves. They would have a deed, I'm giving my daughter 
these enslaved people, sometimes they became the property of her husband, sometimes they didn't. It all depends on the contract and everything that was on, that was agreed. Because again, we have to get, get over the notion of this idea of romantic, romantic love and romantic marriage. Women. Brian, Brian, you're breaking up. Or am I break? Am I back? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Of course not. Is Brian, are you there? Uh, sorry about that. That's okay. I think it was. I think it was my internet that kind of shut you out for a second. Uh, what was the last bit that you heard clearly? Uh, we we heard most of it. Okay. But you started freezing, so it, it's it's okay. We're good. So basically, again, as I was, I was, was going to say, um, especially with our enslaved ancestors, they too, um, being considered property would form part of a part of a marriage settlement, um, which could either be held by the wife or would become part of the, the husband's uh, estate. Um, so again, uh, those deeds are really, really important to um, important to find. Right. So now we have um, another question by Mary Wright. And I, I think Mary's related to us because <laughs> she said, I'm trying to find my third great grandmother's maiden name. Her name, you ready for this, Brian? I know you're sitting down. Her name was Lucretia Creasy. She married Silas Freeman. One census says she was born in Georgia and her father was from Africa. Another census says she is from North Carolina. It's confusing. Yeah, we've had that happen. Um... You know, when you're looking at where parents were supposedly born, you know, we've we've seen that. We've seen that on oh, who on the chin, on the chin side of the family, the oldest yeah. known chin that was brought from Kentucky, Kentucky to South Carolina. If you look at his children, they say he was born in Africa. Um, still trying to figure out if he was or if if he wasn't. Um, now. One thing that Danya and my family, parts of our family like to do is they like to try to hide. They like to hide in plain sight. And it's not unknown for a few of them to flat out lie about where they came from. Um, I'm thinking of Settles in particular, who claims that uh, he was born anywhere other than South Carolina. Uh, Want to add to that one, Danya? Um, which Settles you said? Uh, oh, it was one. It was one of the Suttles brother who basically was saying that he was born anywhere other than South Carolina. Yeah, I, you know, I, I run from them, Brian. I, I, <laughs> I, I run from them. You know, um, the Suttles line. I, that's just I don't know. I can't. I don't know. I don't know how to but, speak. 
we again we've come across it a handful of times in our research with other people who you know because we i remember we've spoken about it on the phone going hang up a minute one of them was a peterson actually we're like wait a minute that's not where he was born why are they saying he was born there when we know he wasn't born there you don't Mm. we don't know Um, joe harrison is like joe harris is like that who's actually yes yes his last name is really s-e-n-i-o-r but this man goes by Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. Have no idea why. So uh, th- it happens to our men and it happens to our women because I think we're kind of getting off of what we originally wanted to, you know, the show to be about. But it, it happens on both. So we're going to focus on that. So why don't you do one of your women? Okay. Well, one thing I want to touch on is nicknames, diminutive forms of someone's proper full first name, um, because that can cause all kinds of chaos too. Um, so for instance, when I'm saying nicknames and diminutive forms, you have the name Martha, and then you have Patsy. And we joke about this all the time. I don't know how you get Patsy from Martha, but Patsy and Martha are the same. And you can go from record to record to record and the female ancestry can swap back and forth between Martha and Patsy. So you have to keep an eye out for that. With Mary, you can get Polly or Molly. That happens quite frequently between those. With Lucretia, it can be Creasy or Critty. Either one. You see quite often. Uh, Kezia or Keziah, K-E-Z-I-A-H, can turn up as Kizzy. Uh, Catherine, we know, is like either Kitty or Kate. This is another bizarre one. Someone At some point, someone's going to have to sit down with me and explain how you get from one to the other. You have the name Anne, and then you have Nancy. Anne and Nancy are one of the same. How that happened? I have no idea. And with Sarah, it can be Sally. So again, um, if you do a quick Google about, you know, popular shortened versions of, of full names, you'll get it. You'll start to get a sense. Uh, well, we're just doing women's names, so I won't, I won't do the men. So again, shortened forms of names, something worth bearing in mind. Somebody uh, said, what about Tempe? I'm waiting for her to put what Tempe stands for. Oh, temperance. Ah, okay. Oh, and speaking of which, this will also give you a clue as to your ancestry on those lines. Names like Keziah or Kezia, however you pronounce that, temperance, charity, unity, those are all very, were very popular Quaker names. You know, Quakers own slaves. Most of them stopped doing it. Others just moved south so they could still enslave people. They fathered, you know, they, they had children just like anyone else did, uh, you know, mulatto children just like anyone else did. So when you're, so for me, whenever I'm seeing names like Tempe, Temperance, Unity, Charity, all of those names, I'm like, okay, this is going to lead me back to, to a Quaker family in some way, shape, or form. And nine times out of ten, it does. Um, just to let you know, Brian, I'm kind of frozen on my end as far as the screen. So I, I don't see, know if you can. I can see so I'm fine. moving. You yeah, see me I moving? See okay. All right. Well, my I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that. So what's so, one of your family members that yeah. what women? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
what I'm going to do is one of the most common things you're going to ever find, especially if you're talking about rural genealogy and your female ancestors. I have a great grandmother who is called Emily Peterson. Mm. And, you know, that's what the death certificates of her children said. I had her marriage contract. I had it all. She was born around 1862. I knew what town. I knew what county. No, I didn't know the county. The town. I knew the county. I knew it was Edgefield, South Carolina. So I'm looking at 1870 census return. Remember, she's 1862. She's a child. She should be living at home with her parents. Lo and behold, there was another Emily Peterson, also a mulatto, also in Edgefield, born about 1865. As I said, census returns can be out by a couple of years. Now I have two Emily Petersons. They were distinctly different people, had different parents, different siblings, lived in different towns. So I knew that there were two different people. And I'm like, great. This is just just great. Which one of these could, which one of these two is going to end up being my three times great grandmother? One was going to be a direct ancestor, one was going to be a cousin. I already knew they were going to be related to each other just by looking at the names of their siblings. Um, what I had to do was do a workup on both Emily Petersons, adding them to my tree. One was uh, one, you know, both of them were or, uh, what I would call orphan lines, because I didn't know who to attach them to. Um, so I, you know, did started with the woman that I suspected was my three times great grandmother. Um, put her parents, her siblings in. Did the same thing with the other with the other Emily, and then started finding obits for each of them. And then lo and behold, there was an obit of one of their siblings that said, survived by sister, Emily Matthews, Washington, DC. That was my grandmother. That was my great grandmother. And I, you know, uh, I finally had the, um, the right group. Uh, but that took me a good three months, three yeah. months to, um, to be able to get to that point. But yeah. literally, it, I could... And that's sometimes what we have to do. And again, it can sometimes be frustrating. We can't head directly into an ancestor. We have to step back and start working our way around them, looking at their siblings, looking at who was living near them, um, all of that kind of stuff, trying to find things like obits where they, um, where they might be mentioned. And like I said, that was, uh, that was the final clue that uh, solved that problem for me. Yeah, newspapers are are another great resource, those obituaries that set. So if you don't have a um, a subscription to newspapers.com, I strongly suggest that you get one or to Genealogy Bank. Um, both of them are really, really great uh, ways for you to go in and find your families, typing in somebody, just typing in one of the men to see if they died. You can put it, you can sort by date. Um, you can sort by county. You can even sort by the paper if you know the paper name um, for newspapers.com. They have hundreds of thousands of papers, newspapers with all types. And you can sort by churches. So that's another way for you to start looking for family members. Sort by churches. Because when you start to um, find those family members and find those obits, you start to see the names of their children and who their children married. Like, for example, we had um, one, some of our families, I'll just, just throw out these Freemans 
as an example, the Freeman and the Mackeys, um, that was a headache. But we had Freemans and Mackeys when their children were being listed, their children were being listed with a maiden name that really, especially the girls, were listed with a name that wasn't theirs. But, okay, well, maybe this is not a good, <laughs> they're not a good example. But you have some where you can actually search the name, search for a family member who's passed on. And when you see the children, you now see the children, the daughters listed with their now married name. So this is a good way to find out who they married through the, through the um, newspapers. So for example, I'm Donya Williams and my mother is Winita Yeldale. So if Winita Yeldale got, don't let this happen, but if Winita Yeldale died today, and we did her obituary and I ended up getting married to someone with the last name Jones. Now, and you, if you didn't know that as a researcher who I married, you now know that somewhere in a census record, I'm going to be found as Donya Jones, not Donya Williams or Donya Yeldale or what have you. And that's one of those things that um, I need. Okay. And and that's one of those um, that's one of those uh, those things that we need to do, you know, in order to find your family. So I'm just you know that the newspapers.com is great. Genealogy Bank is great. Another one. Um, you want me to jump into Molly? Uh, while we're on the roll about different kinds of records, but hold on to Molly. Going to definitely okay. be coming back to her next. Uh, other records that you can access that are just a gold mine of information: Civil War pension files. Ooh, uh, yes. Widow pension files are, you know, and again, don't assume because you're a melanated American that your ancestor or ancestors didn't fight in either the Revolutionary War or the Civil War. Um, they can be an absolute gold mine of information. For all, for basically anyone who has um, ancestry during that period, during that time period, so pension files, invaluable things like if you suspect that your ancestors may have applied to be recognized as Native American, there's the Dawes rolls. You can get their applications. There's the Eastern Cherokee application files, which you can get on full three. They're also just a, a gold mine of information. Um, so again, two relatively kind of overlooked military-related kind of records that are invaluable. Uh, World War One, World War Two uh, draft cards for sons who are still living with their parents can also lead you to to finding um, the name, you know, the name of your your female ancestors. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to before before I those kind of left my mind. I just wanted to touch on those a little bit. So Molly. Okay. Well, Molly settles. So you heard the last name. <laughs> settles. <laughs> so Molly settles was very difficult. And we actually finally confirmed Molly via DNA. Because we never saw Molly with her parents. And that's another problem with um, researching women, especially back then, because they were getting married so young. So um, like my my grandfather's sister was born in 1884 um, and 
by and you know the 1890 census is not available so by 1900 she was married and already out the house and i had no clue who she was or anything about her so it's stuff like that that happens well that's what it was with molly you know we didn't really know anything about molly and then the other thing about molly she also had that um that nickname issue because margaret is the full name for Molly. So I don't know if she, if her full name was Margaret or not, but I know, I think I did, we do have her listed. It's either Margaret or Mary, which one is it? I'm pretty sure it's Margaret. Okay. Yeah, she was listed as Margaret on the 1870 census and as Molly on the 1880 census. Problem is we got to, we got to her last name Settles because her children were listing it that way. But we never saw her with that family, with the Settles family. We finally had to, we finally started, you know, really kind of getting tested. That's when we really started delving into the DNA and then in, in, in jumping into the DNA. My mom, like I told you guys before, our regulars, and for those that don't know, but my mom is like an Eve for Edgefield, South Carolina, she like matches almost everybody in that area. And so she was dropping, you know, DNA and matching all of these different settles lines and all of these different settles people. And we were sitting there trying to, you know, really put all that together. And it was through the DNA where she started matching key settles folks that we started to realize that Molly is actually one of the siblings to another set of Settles family members that who were born to a man named Edward Settles and Martha Ann. Martha Ann was the enslaved person that that uh, Edward had. So he was actually having several children with Martha Ann. And um, it's through that line that we figured out that Molly is one of their kids. But just recently, and not everybody is even not even on board with this. That's how recent this is. There's another daughter, or there's another woman who's the settles, and we don't see her with them. And her name is Isabella. Well, Isabella settles ended up marrying a man by the name of what's his name? Is it Wade? Yeah, Wade Holloway. We don't see is Isabella with them at all. But because that DNA is being dropped and covered the way that it's being cut, you know, we're finding that stuff the way that we are. Me and Brian right now, and I believe Loretta are the three people that believe that. And I think Hamad when I was talking to him, but uh, we're the ones that actually believe that Isabella is another one of um, Edward Settle's daughters. And if this is true, and if this is the case, then that means that my grandfather and my grandmother are like second cousins because Isabella Settles is my grandfather's great grandmother and Molly Settles is my grandmother's grandmother. Welcome to the, so, welcome to the house. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Settles family. That's, that's, that's just what it does. But that's, that makes them you know, related in that, in that way. But there were and, a couple uh, of things that, that kind of led us in that direction. 
because we were looking at who she was, you know, in that 1870 census and 1880 census, we were looking at who she was living there. She was living near family. She was specifically, she was living near Suttles family. We were looking at the names of kids that were classic Suttles family names. There were a couple of classic names from outside of the family that we recognized, but all of those are little breadcrumbs and little clues. Um, I think a lot of people probably don't take the time to actually open up that census return to mm-hmm. see how to see how many kids uh, a couple had. I know not every census record has that information, but for those that do, you can get an idea of how many children a woman had, how many of them were still living at the mm-hmm. time of the census, at the census return. Take a look, a page before and a page after the page that she appears on. Because maybe half the time she might be living near her husband's family. The other half of the time they might be living near her family. They might right. actually be living on her family's land. Right. Thing. Um, but all of those are just little little clues and little breadcrumbs that, that you can work with. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that you can, you know, when I was talking about the other, because the, the, the woman that I was talking about before Molly and Isabella that's like I said, that's my grandfather's sister, and her name was Anna, and her story was so profound. She's actually one that can fit into this whole situation because we didn't even know Anna existed until someone popped up and shared a DNA as my mom's like first cousin once removed, and we're looking at her like, Who are you? <laughs> you know. <laughs> We were like, where did you come from? Like, oh my God, where did you come from? And she did her work and did her due diligence. And because, you know, we we supported her in the direction that she wanted to go because she found out some personal information. And, and in doing that, you know, she ended up finding Anna. And what's so funny, you know, this is the genealogy gods. And I know y'all know who the genealogy gods are. And it's so funny, but... They, they let you know what they want you to find and what they want someone else to find. Now, I might sound crazy or what have you, but I'm, I'm good with sounding crazy at this point. Um, right after she found out all of the information that needed to be found out and we found Anna Yeldell Jones, we found Anna's death certificate. Literally right after, and it would have just cleared everything up because her parents' names were on the death certificate. Her demand that she married was on the death certificate. One of the children were listed as a, uh, I mean, it would have cleared everything up immediately. But it took all of six months to a year, I think, for us to actually, for, for first of all, for my cousin to find the information that she needed to find and then finally get back to the point that Anna Yeldale jumped, that that Anna was the Anna that was not listed, that was never listed in the, you know, in the census because she had gotten married. So we would have never known. DNA. So DNA is another thing that is so important. It is one of the, I think is one of the most important things that has been done in genealogical research, and it's 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 like to me, in my opinion, it's detrimental for African Americans to get involved with DNA. I know some people don't want to do it. I know that DNA can be um, tricky for some or what have you, but I'm telling you that DNA thing. My mom being an Eve, 
to to all of Edgefield finding Anna the way that we did. I think Anna was probably the most profound one that I've ever come across because we knew nothing. I would like Brian was saying in the census 1900 and it's the 1900 and the 1910 census that gives you that that information about the woman having children, how many she had, how many lived, um, things of like that nature. I kept seeing in those two census records that one, she had like five children, six children, but only five were listed in the thing. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Or eight children and only seven were listed in the thing. I'm like, what a, where's, there's, a, there's a kid missing. There's a kid missing. And it throws you completely off. So with that being said, DNA is another important, important way for you to go and start finding your family. And definitely looking at the census record. Don't just pick, don't just keep on like on Ancestry, you know, that front sheet that they show you. And then up in the corner, you have the, um, the you know, the, the image itself. Look at the image because people write stuff wrong. And that transcription is some serious transcription errors in there. It's serious transcription errors. So definitely, definitely look at your images. Definitely make a make sure you're 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 learning exactly what's going on around you at all around them at all times. Brian says look one page to the back and one page before and one page after. Eventually, truth be told, you're gonna look at every last page. But he was trying to be nice. I ain't nice. <laughs> you go because I want you to know what you're getting into. A lot of you already know, but some people don't. You're gonna look at every last page. So if you have a census record that's showing up as um 84 pages, get you a cup of tea, some coffee, something to drink. Maybe get you something to eat, to dip with, and begin to start looking at every last one of those pages because they are, I mean, God, our Peterson line took up seven pages. Well, I was going to say, I was, I was trying to break them in gently because if, if, if Donnie and I are talking about Blocker Township in Edgefield County, South Carolina, we can literally open the first sheet and whether they're white, black, however they're listed, we're like, yep, cousin, great aunt, great grandparents, th third cousin, five times removed. There's another yeah. cousin. Literally, from the first sheet to the last sheet, probably ninety percent of them, we can just we can start rattling off exactly how we're related to them. But yeah. I was trying, I was trying to cushion. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, Brian's nice. <laughs> At this point, everything is just so. Um, over the top, but Brian, can you believe it's five o'clock? Well, there's one more, one more record that um people may not think about that I wanted to mention, and this hour has actually flown by. Um, family Bibles. Oh, absolutely! If you people are slowly starting to share their family Bible, you know, with the births and deaths and marriages, um, and a lot of people who you know come from a slave-owning family are beginning to share that kind of information about when enslaved people were born, married, had children, or whatever. Those are absolute gold dust. A couple of examples of that one. My Sheffy family in With County, uh, Virginia, Southwest Virginia, 
I'd already done a workup on the family. Um, there were one or two people. I wasn't really sure exactly how many kids they had or what set of kids went with what person, but 95% to 96% was there. And then I had this cousin just reach out to me on Facebook going, oh my God, how did you work all that stuff out without actually having the family Bible? And then she sent me the family Bible page. And apart from years of birth that I'd gotten from the census and death records, which were about a year or two off, they were all there. I think I picked up like maybe an extra three kids for someone. But by and large, it was, al it was already there. I had to laugh because obviously the universe, you know, the genealogy gods didn't want me to have it easy. And give me that sheet straight away. It wanted me to actually work through it, go through all the documents I had to go through to, uh, to build out that family tree. And again, Donnie and I and another group of about three or four genealogists that we worked with, there was a woman called Amanda Peterson. She had a hell of a lot of kids. We were trying to work all that stuff out. And we actually, I mean, I, I still think we should pat, all of us should pat ourselves on the back, um, including the Tom, because we had it. We had it all right, all those kids, um, and who yeah. they married. And then out of the ether, all of a sudden, this oral family history that someone had taken the time to sit down and actually type up, nailed it. Yeah, yeah we, were, we were extremely excited when we got that particular paper um, from Tommy Gary, Tommy Gary's grand, grandfather. And it was, it was, um, it was amazing to have that piece of paper and read it and actually realize that we were absolutely correct. Like we could not have been more correct. Like we, I mean, it was, it, they, they guided us, those genealogy guides, gods, they guided us through that. Yeah. It was, it was truly amazing. So. Which also brings me to, cause that caused a little, one person in particular caused a lot of conversation she caused a lot of conversations for me because she confused me. That was Aurelia. Again, Aurelia Holloway, my three times great-grandmother. Love you. Her name was butchered in oh. every conceivable way that you could think of. Her full name was Aurelia. Now, I can understand ruler. I can under even understand Rilla. Maybe the census, hit census taker struggle with that Edgefield accent. Those two I could get. But then we had Avarilla, Sarsaparilla. There were all these weird, bizarre craz craziness. And for the longest time, I'm thinking, what was your name? Um, and it took a bit of digging. It took a lot of digging, actually, to finally get to the fact that it, that it actually was Aurelia. Um, such a beautiful name, but butchered every conceivable way that you could think of. And again, that, that's part and parcel of researching our fam family, uh, our female ancestors. Right. So any um, time to open it up, I guess, to the floor to see if anyone has any kind of last minute questions. I'm not seeing any questions. I'm seeing people just kind of, um, just giving you, just agreeing with what we're saying. Like Joyce Odom, she said, she was actually talking to Mary Wright. She said, Creasy is a strong North Carolina surname. But see, the thing is, Joyce, is that Creasy is the person's first name. And it's the nickname for Lucretia or Lucretia or Lucreta. And that's what that's what uh, Mary was talking about. And then we had a cousin that had to had to go, you know, leave left and 
And Takina Lotts, she said, this sounds like my family tree. And she's laughing out loud. So, <laughs> And then um, also, I have a cousin who wanted, it's not on this particular thread of comments, but um, our cousin Denise Brown Sampson, she said that she wanted to remind everybody that DNA is on sale for $59 in, on Ancestry. It's also on sale with 23andMe, where if you buy two, it's $49 a piece. Now, I want to say this, I, I, and I can't stress this enough. If you do not want people to contact you, but you want to do the ethnicity, do it from 23andMe. Because 23andMe allows you to go anonymous. No one can talk. No one can ask you questions. No one can do any of those things. Go to 23andMe. If you go to Ancestry, you cannot opt out. I cannot stress this enough. Ancestry is a researching um, website. People are going to contact you. It's just going to happen. I'm not really understanding why people are doing the Ancestry.com DNA and then not responding when people call you back. Because that's an actual researching site. So that's what people are going to do. Whereas 23andMe is not a researching site. They have stuff where you can connect your family tree to, to different programs or what have you. But overall, it is a way for you to be anonymous. Please take that into consideration when you're doing your research. Because... You have people on Ancestry who are really and truly and honestly trying to find their family, trying to get in touch, trying to understand it. And um, not responding to it, it is your choice not to respond to it, but it's heartbreaking on the other end. Um, I think <laughs> Takina Lott says I ask the same thing. And 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 that and I think it I think maybe people just don't realize, and that's why I'm saying it. And this may be to the wrong group. I'm, I might be saying it to the wrong group, but it may be somebody in this group that has their ancestry and um, on Ancestry.com that has their DNA on Ancestry.com and just don't want to respond. And and I, I get that. That's fine. But if you're only looking for your ethnicity, do 23andMe because 23andMe opts out. You might not even know that that happened. But it does. It opts out. So uh, that being said, Brian, you got something else you want to add before we talk about? Okay. Well, I was just going to say my suggestion for people who want to do Ancestry DNA just for the DNA or who have done it just for that. If you type in your, little, in your profile, you can think of a nice way of actually saying it, but you know, I've only right. done this. I've only done this for my DNA estimates. Please don't contact about family history. So at least that's letting other researchers know. Okay, you know, respect. You know, you. I knew that if I ask you any kind of family history questions, I'm not going to get a reply back. Kind of a thing. Right. It is. It is frustrating. Um, it is highly frustrating. And just like different DNA tests do different things, whether you're looking at autosomal, mitochondrial, or Y DNA, different DNA providers are kind of used slightly differently. And like I said, I would agree. 
that 23andMe, if you're just doing it for the DNA, might be the better fit for you as opposed to Ancestry, which does have a deeply entrenched uh, research community kind of a thing. And I'm right. sure you are raring to introduce the next show. <laughs> no, because I forgot. <laughs> I don't have my paper in front of me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I've, I've got my... What, what did you want to talk about? <laughs> what did you want to talk about? <laughs> Go ahead. Oh no, what did you what did you want to talk about before you before we wrap things up? Oh, um, I just wanted to let everybody know. And again, you know, because I'm looking at some of these the the comments coming up. You got people saying I always contact the people that you know that that send me messages. And again, I like I said, I might be saying this to the wrong group because you guys are so into your research and, and what it is that needs to be done and so on and so forth. But there's always one that may not know. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew what it was. Like Kimberly White Underwood, she said, thanks for clarifying the difference between the two sites. The sites are great, both of them. And I understand why everybody, you know, do it. And, you know, truth be told, the the uh, Dr. Jackson, who works with um, Brian and I, as far as our DNA project is concerned, she actually likes 23andMe better than Ancestry. And um, so all I'm saying is, you know, if you're just doing ethnicity, do, and you don't want people to contact you, consider doing 23andMe, just consider it. And then somebody else um, wrote up here that your voice was going in and out. So basically he was just giving another way to talk about it's it's fine now. Um, he was just giving you another way to to let people know in your profile on Ancestry. Let them know, hey, I'm only doing this for ethnicity. I do not want to be contacted. If you do something as similar as simple as that, that's such a big deal. You know that makes that lets us know. Okay, good. We don't have to. No need to go to that person. Still kind of hurtful because you are on a researching site, but nevertheless, we want to respect you in that matter and don't want to get mad and say, oh my God, this person is this, this close and I can't talk to them and so on and so forth, so forth. So yeah, this, like I said, it's, it's not, what I'm saying is not for everybody in this group, but it, I'm, I'm sure it'll touch on one person. And even if it gives you guys something to say to somebody who is testing, it'll give you the opportunity to explain to them, look, don't go to Ancestry or somebody coming up to you and say, yeah, I know you did the DNA. What is your suggestion? And you can give them, you know, this kind of background for it, because I think those are the things that are truly missing as far as communication is concerned. You know, we're not we're not talking, we're not sharing what it is that we really need to be sharing to let people know what we have to do. But I'm going to stop talking. Brian, you tell them. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave this little little bomb. Um, if you go on ancestry.com, for instance, if you look at my profile, and I would recommend that people with very large trees like mine do the same thing. I'm happy to hear from people, and I'm happy to answer questions. I tend to get anything from eight to ten messages on Ancestry every single day. So I make it very, very clear that if you that if you need information from me or you need clarification, I actually spell out all of the information that you need to provide um, to make it 
a more seamless kind of experience. And, I, and I'm quite clear. It's like, if you don't provide all this information, your request just goes to the bottom of the queue. Um, that's just how I am on that one. Um, so the next show is actually the 18th of November. And I'm so pleased to say that we're going to have a special guest. Her name is Sharon Morgan. And she is from Our Black Ancestry. Yes, so all of so, the Our Black Ancestry people, let's look and check it out. Sharon is going to be online. So that'll be the 18th of November, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, right here on Genealogy Adventures. So again, really, really looking forward to, um, to having Sharon on the show. Yes, yes. Sharon is going to talk about um, how Our Black Ancestry got started, you know, the amazing things that she did. And how you know what made her move forward, and what she wants, what she what she sees for it. You know that's something that Genealogy Adventures is, is focusing on. We're trying to focus on minorities being recognized as far as genealogy is concerned. The research on minorities is amazing. You have some people who's doing everything from Jamaican to, Car to Caribbean, um, African-American, Native American, you know, everything. And that stuff is not being talked about on shows or going into de detail. Not enough detail is being done for those things on shows like, Why, who do you think you are? Or Finding my roots or things like that. It's just not being addressed. They're just not being addressed. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, called their names out, Brian, but I, I, I had to. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's, it's being honest. It isn't. So we're going to be covering all of those over the course of this season. We're also yes. going to be t touching on Hispanic ancestry, Latino, yes. you know, Latino yes. ancestry, Jewish ancestry. Yes. Because they all, they all require a specific skill set. It's um, not the same searching. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and most of us are going to have a little bit of all of those. Um, so, you know, I would imagine at some point in time, that's going to come into play with our own research. But as Donnie was saying, this year, this, well, this season, we just really wanted to touch on aspects of genealogy that just isn't being written about or covered or discussed in kind of the, the, larger, the larger genealogy show formats. Right. So that's it. Like I said, just looking forward to having Sharon in a couple of weeks, well, the week after next. Right. So, so once again, thank you very much for sharing your Sunday with us. Yes, thank you so much. It's been awesome. This has been a great show. Um, and I look forward to seeing you guys on the 18th. See you on the 18th. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.